You're listening to Grow and Tell with Estelle May. She's a no-nonsense, hard-hitting, tell-you-like-it-is kind of host. Because you know those overwhelming things we avoid in life? Turns out they're not so scary once you break them down. Whether it's effectively managing your career, being vulnerable in your relationships, or working on your financial literacy, she believes the best version of ourselves involves being brave and well-informed. Estelle May invites a wide range of guests, from doctors to dreamers, mothers, scientists, and artists. Come join her and find the courage to land that job, pay off that debt, forgive that friend, and fall in love with yourself. If you're looking to laugh, learn, and grow together, you're in the right place. So put on your big girl pants and let's figure this out together. Here's your host, Estelle May. Hey everyone, I'm so excited to have Paige Pritchard here and she's from The Purposeful Penny and she knows everything about money and I'm just so excited to have her on. Hi everybody, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Paige. I know that this is a, a topic that especially with the new year, a lot of people are thinking about, mm-hmm. especially even in my circle of friends and just around in general. We're kind of getting to the age, at least in my friend group, where people are thinking about starting families and wishing that they had invested earlier. So I'm really appreciative um, of your time and having you on. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I know money is kind of one of those topics that, you know, as you said, people just like to avoid and not talk about. Um, And then it kind of gets to a point where you're like, well, crap, I've got to figure this out or (laughs) it's not going to be good. So yeah, I'm excited to talk to you today. It's gonna be fun. Great. So for people who don't know you, how did you get started and what is your story? Yeah. So a little background on me. Like you said, my name is Paige Pritchard. I am 30 years old. I live in Houston, Texas. I am married, no kids yet, just, you know, my two dogs. I'm hoping that they don't make an appearance in this podcast episode, (laughs) Um, but just my two puppies. And, you know, I still actually, The Purposeful Penny is an online community that I started about two years ago, but I actually do still have a full-time job. So I've worked in, you know, I guess what you could say, corporate America for the past 10 years. Mm -hmm. I'm an account manager at a really large kind of like Fortune 500 company, but As it relates to money, my story really started right after I graduated from college, almost 10 years ago now. So Mm -hmm. I graduated from college. I went to Texas A&M University. And when I graduated, this is honestly crazy to say, but when I graduated, I had $40,000 of student loan debt that I didn't even realize that Mm. I had. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So I, you know, just to kind of provide some background into just like my childhood and stuff, and people are like, why are you going that far back? When a lot of people (laughs) think of money, they like what a lot of people really have to understand is that the beliefs you have about money, the feelings that you have towards money really for most people can be stemmed back to a very early age and to your upbringing in your household and how money was really handled and viewed within your household. So in my household, money was never something that was ever really talked about. But now that I'm older, looking back, I guess you could say that I always just kind of felt the presence of it in terms of just the lack of it caused a lot of just anxiousness Mm -hmm. and just a lot of lack in my household growing up. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a town, you know, kind of suburbs of Dallas that I would say was middle class. Definitely not like super ritzy, but not, you know, 
poverty either, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I went to college, a lot of my friends, I remember them telling me like, oh yeah, well, like my parents are, you know, they're just paying for college. They're Mm -hmm. they're covering my degree. (laughs) So I just kind of assumed, you know, like growing up in a household where money was never spoken about, I was the oldest child of three girls. I just kind of assumed the same thing. I was like, all right, well, you know what? Mom and dad got college. Like, don't have to worry about it. (laughs) Well, then when I graduated after four years, You know, after six months, when my loans came out of deferment, I started getting letters in the mail like, hey, you know, your payments are due for your student loans. And I was like, what student loans? You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. So then, you know, I was kind of in this situation where I thought that I had gotten through college, you know, debt free, finding out I'm $40,000 in debt. And that was really the start of my financial journey. That was kind of like my wake up moment in in addition to that. Mm -hmm. So like a true millennial does nowadays, after I graduated from college, I moved back home for a year. Mm -hmm. So my first job (laughs) in college was back in Dallas. So I was like, okay. Well, all my friends are moving back home, so I'll just move back home and live with my parents for a year. And, you know, I'll just take that year to really like, you know, save up and, you know, kind of get ahead financially. Right. And it and it really was kind of the situation. Like I always equate it to like the kid who grows up with really strict parents. Then they graduate and go to college and they just go nuts. Right. Yep. And that was kind of me, but with money. Mm. Right. Because my entire life, you know, I had never had probably more than like $30 in my bank account at any given point in time, just being a high school student and then a broke college student. Mm-hmm. So literally going from, you know, my first job out of college, I was making $60,000 a year, which for an entry level salary is like pretty decent. Right. So going from like a literal zero to 60, I just went crazy. I, you know, I was living at home, so I had virtually no expenses. My company paid for my cell phone. They gave me a car to drive and paid for the gas and insurance. I mean, when I say that I had almost zero expenses, I truly mean that. And at the end of that year, Mm -hmm. I didn't have anything to show for it. Mm -hmm. Um, I had basically blown through an entire year's worth of salary on just eating out, even though I was living at home. Right. Oh my I was, gosh. I was eating out. I was eating out like almost every single meal. Right. And like, you know, I would literally like on my lunch breaks, I would leave and go to the mall on my lunch break and, you know, stroll into J. Crew or stroll into Banana <laughs> Republic and just swipe my credit card for $500 and not blink an eye. Right. Oh my gosh. And, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, I had the money to pay for it. Right. It's not like I was racking up a bunch of credit card debt. Mm -hmm. I was always paying it off. So in my mind, I was like, well, I have the money to cover this. But then fast forward a year after a year, I basically had nothing to show from a $60,000 salary and living at home for a year. I think so So, many people can relate to that. I know. So that was really like my rock bottom kind of financial breaking moment between, you know, having that realization after a year, having nothing to show for it, then realizing I'm $40,000 in student loan debt And I'm like, okay, we've got to get this figured out because I knew that I was going to be moving out of my parents' house. I knew that I was going to start having rent and utilities and all these bills that I hadn't had to worry about the previous year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was like, all right, well, we've got to we've got to get this figured out. So basically, you know, to kind of fast forward at, you know, another five years, the next five years, I really made like my money and my finances like a true priority in my life. I spent mm-hmm. a lot of time just like educating myself. I became um, a student of personal finance, I guess you could say. Right. And, you know, after five years, I had gotten all of that debt paid off, plus another $50,000 that, you know, my husband kind of brought into the to the mix as well, mm-hmm. bought our first home, 
built up a six-figure retirement portfolio. And, you know, I, I always start with this and tell this story because I want anyone listening to this to know that regardless of where you are in your financial situation right now, mm-hmm. and regardless of like how hopeless you feel or how confused you feel or how lost you feel, you can always turn it around. Like there is hope for you. You can always turn it around. Mm-hmm. So, and my story is 100% proof of that. Right. I think that so many people almost become frozen, right? Because they don't even know where to start. There's so many different ways you can go. And I think the easiest way is just ignore it. Ignore it, not deal with it, you know, not open your bills or not really look at what your financial situation looks like. But I think if you just sit down and take a look at it and understand it, it's actually not as scary as you think. It's never as scary as you think. And you're 100% correct. Like I am always just so kind of honestly shocked by the number of people who just avoid, avoid, avoid when it comes to their money. And I'm not, I'm not that shocked because I, I get it. I, you know, it's just, it's just a coping mechanism really is what Mm -hmm. people are doing. But that is the number one thing that I hear people say is exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. They say, I just don't know where to start. Like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. And so it's easier for me just to pretend that it doesn't exist. My debt doesn't exist. My, my, you know, my just financial situation just doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to pay attention to it. So you're 100% right on that. I do have a a question going back to your parents and the $40,000 student loan debt. Did they never tell you? No. I mean, (laughs) and you know, this was honestly a conversation that I had to have with my parents after the you know, after the fact to kind yeah. of be like, you know, what the heck mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And I have an, I have an amazing relationship with my mom and dad. Like yeah. they are truly like two of the best, hardest working people, but you know, they've also admitted to like, well, we didn't really know how to handle it either. Yeah. And I think honestly, they felt some level of shame as well, because they also knew that mm-hmm. a lot of their, you know, friends and peers like were paying for their kids college right. and they couldn't. Yeah. And I think it was just one of those situations where it was like, all right, well, we're just going to like take out these loans and like, you know, we'll just kind of deal with them when we have to deal with them. Yeah. So that's since a conversation that I've had to have with my parents. And like I said, I have two younger sisters. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the good thing was, is I was just kind of, you know, I was, I was kind of like the experiment child going through college first because I was like, do not do this with yeah. Aaron and Kristen, who are mm-hmm. my sisters. I was like, they need to know like what they're getting themselves into and stuff like that. So I, I also yeah. think that, you know, sometimes we think that because our, we always look up to our parents, right? And not to their fault, but not to a fault. But a lot of the times, whatever you learn when you're younger, you bring into adulthood, into parenthood, into old age. Oh, and yeah. so although your parents did take care of you or take care of me, whatever their financial situation when you're younger, you might just not have understood the full scope of it. But a lot of the times we just assume they have everything figured out when actually I'm learning as I get older that that's not always the case. No, no, not not at all. And like I said, kind of at the beginning, I didn't really realize it or pick up on it when I was younger. But -hmm. now that I'm an adult kind of looking back, there are definitely things that I look back on and I'm like, Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense now because, you know, like for instance, like one clear, very vivid memory that I have in my mind about my childhood and money Mm -hmm. is I remember, you know, again, like all of my friends were going and they were auditioning for the club volleyball team. Like Mm -hmm. we all played volleyball at the high school. Right. But then, you know, outside of it, it was like, ooh, well, you got to be on like the ritzy club team that travels around and, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. (laughs) And so I remember one night being over at my friend's house and all of my friends 
you know, we're piling into the car to go to the tryout. And I remember my mom pulling up in the car and me being like, mom, what are you doing here? And she's like, yeah, we're we're going home. You got to come with me. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to the tryout. And she's like, no, you're not because like you're a good volleyball player and I know you'd make the team, but like we can't afford it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you can't be on this team because like we couldn't afford it. And I remember mm-hmm. like all of my friends like driving off to the tryout and you know trying out and so they were all on the club volleyball team and you know at the time I was like 11 or 12 so like I didn't even understand the concept of like you can't afford it because money at that point was just this abstract thing that as an 11 or 12 year old like you don't even think about like you don't even understand you just think that like life happens yeah. and it goes on like you don't think as an 11 or 12 year old like oh yeah mom and dad have to pay the mortgage and the car payment and the car insurance and you know all this other stuff that they have to pay for so mm-hmm. I mean there's a lot of things looking back and on my childhood that I'm like oh yeah like that makes a lot of sense now that mm-hmm. I'm an adult but you know and that's that's a lot of you know when I started making the money that I was making I just went wild. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I was just like, oh my gosh, like all this money. You yeah. know what I mean? And Same. I just like, as soon as, as soon as it hit my bank account, it was spent. It was gone. Right. I also think what's really interesting is that in my twenties, I was consistently aiming for a certain number for the longest time. I just wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars. That was just my goal. I really, by yeah. the time I turned 30, I wanted to make a hundred thousand dollars. And in Seattle, to be honest, it's not a lot of money because it's such an expensive yeah. city to be in. And so when I finally hit that threshold, it was interesting because I started making $100,000, but I was still broke. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it just didn't matter, you know, and I, I didn't feel like I, I'm not a big shopper. I'm not someone who goes out and drinks all the time. So it took actually a, a little bit longer than I wanted to into my late 20s to fully understand where my money was going, because yeah. the more money I made, it didn't matter. I still had the same amount of money at the end of the day because I was spending it whatever way. So I yeah. totally relate to your story. Yeah, I know. And I think I think sometimes we have, you know, ideas like that as well, like where you want to be making a certain amount or you want to have a certain mm-hmm. amount saved in your bank account. Right. But there are so many factors that make every situation different. Like I always say that I truly feel like everyone everyone's financial situation is like a snowflake in that no two are exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And the area that you live in, like Mm -hmm. what you were talking about, has a big factor in that, right? Like if I'm talking to a girl that lives in Manhattan or Seattle, right? Yeah. Yeah, you might be making $100,000, but honestly, then you could have a girl that lives in Oklahoma mm-hmm. that's making fifty, Yep. and you guys are pretty much living the same quote-unquote financial lifestyle, meaning like what you're, what you're left with at the end of every month is probably around the same just because the cost of living is so much more higher. Right, and she could potentially also be putting away a lot more money. Yeah. That's what kind of took me a long time to learn was it doesn't really matter how much you take in is what you have at the end. Because the cost of living in places like Seattle, whether that's your car or your, you know, your tabs, your grocery bills, everything adds up. You could be making the same as someone you're right in Oklahoma for $50,000. Exactly. And what I always say, too, and just to kind of like wrap up this part of the conversation with this Mm -hmm. as well, even if, you know, even going back to like, yes, there are people, you know, for instance, like take you as an example, who you do pay attention, like you are paying attention to your spending and your budget and that sort of thing. But What I also always say, and just to keep in mind too, is that it doesn't matter how much money you make if you have 
crappy spending habits and you're not paying attention to your money. Right. Like I have seen people, you know, somebody who makes $50,000 a year who is doing much better off financially than somebody who makes $300,000 a year who is Mm -hmm. just blowing through all of their money because they're not being responsible with it. So your income in that sense doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Like if you're not managing your money properly, it doesn't matter how much money you make, like you will still be broke at the end of the day. Right. Okay. And I know, man, I have so many things that I want to say about this, but I also think that this, to really wrap it up, you were talking about in the beginning about childhood and personally, you know, it doesn't matter how much money I make, I always would go return to being broke. And that's because I grew up not with, without a lot of money. And Mm -hmm. so it was like, I was almost comfortable. It's like I had to spend all my money to feel like I was in a comfortable place. It's a very, very strange yeah, thing that how no, far it goes. Yeah, that is that is very common. I mean, a lot of people. So I love one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to money is just having a positive money mindset. It's something that I've really had to work hard on and I still work on every single day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we always talk about like coming from abundance with your money versus coming from scarcity, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, with scarcity, there's kind of the two ends of the spectrum there. There's the one end of the spectrum that I was definitely on where it's like as soon as you get your money, you spend it because again, you've grown up with this mentality of like lack and like there's never enough mm-hmm. and you have this just kind of subconscious thought that somebody is going to take your money away from you, right? So as soon as you get it, you spend it. It's gone because you're like, well, I don't want anybody to take my money from me. Like I want to be in control of it. So I'm just going to spend it. Then there's kind of the other end of the spectrum on scarcity, which a lot of people kind of have trouble with this one um, because it's not commonly thought of in this way. But the other end of the spectrum in scarcity is when people hoard their money. So when I look at people, and this is just my opinion, sometimes people don't like it when I say this, but I don't care. Um, (laughs) When I look at people who are like extremely frugal, like extremely frugal, that's not healthy either, Right. right? There has to be like this healthy medium in the middle of where like, yes, you are holding on to your money and you are saving your money in a responsible way so that you can take care of yourself down the road. But you can also spend it like it's not bad to spend your money like that's what it's here for. That's the purpose that it serves. Right. Your money is meant for you to spend it to create the life that you want to live. So when I also see people who are like just being super frugal and are holding on to it and like never want to spend any money on anything, I'm all my first thought is just always like, okay, first of all, that's not healthy either. Mm -hmm. But what are you so scared of? Like, what are you so worried about? What do you like, you know, what? What are you so concerned is going to happen that you have this mental block that you can't spend any of your money, right? So you really want to kind of be, you know, when I say like coming from abundance, you really want to kind of be in that middle ground, right? Where you have a healthy enough relationship with your money to where you say, yes, like I'm going to take care of my money. I'm going to be responsible with it, but I'm also going to like, I'm not going to hesitate to spend it on the things that add value into my life because Mm -hmm. that's what money is there for to do. Right. I just feel like there's so many, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's only been 20 minutes and we haven't got through to the second question. (laughs) I just, I I just think, so the reason why, so the the things that I wanted to ask were the top things that I've personally heard in my life, because I, I just want this episode to be of value and someone can hear something that you've shared and immediately go and apply it to their life. And so although it is just touching on a bunch of questions, it's the ones that consistently come up 
in conversations. And so I'm so excited. And I know that if people want to dig deeper, they can come find you. But anyway, I'm going to move yeah. on to the second question. That's okay. And so everyone's talking about, obviously, student loans. I mm-hmm. don't know very many people who were lucky enough to have parents pay off their debt. Or maybe they might have paid for partial parts, but definitely not for your your graduate degree. Yeah, That's definitely a big one for people and a big decision that they make. But Mm -hmm. so if you have student loans, the number one question that I've heard is how do you attack that when you've got subsidized loans, you have unsubsidized loans, different interests, different amounts? Like what do you recommend? Okay, so my first thing, kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, is just I know it can be stressful and overwhelming, but just take a deep breath Mm -hmm. first and foremost. I think people get really hung up in the how, right? Like, how do I pay off my loans? Like, what order do I do it in and that sort of thing? I will will give you guys suggestions on organizing it. But the first thing that I want to say to you is just like take a deep breath first and foremost. And the first thing that you need to do is you need to get organized, right? I'm sure that some people listening to this you might be very organized and you might know, you know, your exact loan balance that you owe, all the different providers, the payments, that sort of stuff. But going back to what you're we saying earlier, there are a lot of people who are just in this avoidance mode. And so mm-hmm. the first thing to do if you haven't done it already is you need to sit down and you need to get organized. You need to list out every single loan that you have the balance, the payment, the interest rate, the provider, the type of loan, whether it's federal, private, all that sort of stuff. You Mm -hmm. need to list out all the information on your loans because then that's going to help you figure out an order. You can't figure out an order if you don't have all that information, right? Okay. So that's the first thing to do. And that'll tell you like how many loans you have, the total balance that you owe, that sort of thing. Now, there's two main ways that most people go about tackling the debt, and I'll walk you through those two ways. The first, which a lot of your listeners might have heard of before because it was coined by Dave Ramsey. It's a very Mm -hmm. popular method, but it's called the debt snowball. And what the debt snowball is, is you order your loans from the lowest loan amount to the highest. Okay. So once you have everything listed out, then put them in order from the smallest loan balance to the largest. And then that's your order. That's kind of your plan of attack. So what you're going to do is you're going to pay off the loan with the smallest amount first, Mm -hmm. right? So you're going to make the minimum payments on everything throughout this process, right? Like you never want to stop making the minimum payments on one of your loans because you never want to become like delinquent on one of your loans, right? So you're going to make the minimum payments on everything. And then anything extra that you have, like let's just say you're like, okay, I want to put an extra $500 a month towards my student loans. You would put that extra $500 towards the loan that's typically like what I say, like up to bat, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's the loan that you're focusing on, which is the loan at the top of your list. Then once that loan is paid off, then you move to the next and you move to the next, then you move to the next. So it's just a very like strategic, like you're like, okay, here's my order. Mm -hmm. This this is how I'm going to tackle them. And you just do that until everything's gone and paid off. Now, that method is much more psychological in nature. So the whole kind of theory behind the debt snowball is that you have quick wins in the beginning. Mm. So because you're paying off your smallest loans first, you will get through those the quickest, which means that you'll, you know, kind of have these wins at the beginning to kind of get you excited and to keep you motivated throughout the process. And then the very last loan that you'll be paying off will be like your largest loan, right? Okay. So I would suggest this method. If you're somebody who you 
kind of need the wins to keep yourself motivated Mm -hmm. and to keep yourself kind of like attached to the process, right? Right. Then the second method, which is what I did, just because I'm more of like a math person, black and white, is called the debt avalanche method, which this method is where you list out all of your loans and you order them from the highest interest rate to the lowest interest rate. Right. So you just go through the same process. It's just everything's in a different order. It's just everything's listed from like, okay, this is my highest interest loan to my lowest interest loan. Right. Yeah. And then you just kind of tackle it that way. And so this one is just more math driven. It's just like, okay, this is the method that's going to save you the most money in the long run. Mm -hmm. But compared to the snowball method, it might not be as like, quote unquote, quick in the beginning, meaning you might not have like as quick of wins because like your biggest loan could also be your highest interest rate. Mm -hmm. Right. So like that would be the first one that you tackled. Whereas in the snowball method, that would be the last one that you did. I could see the snowball method being appealing to people just because we live in a world of instant gratification. And unfortunately, I feel like patience is sort of, it's not Oh, it's gone. Um, it is gone. <laughs> I didn't, no didn't want to say that quite that, but okay, it, okay, it really is gone. And I think that the quick wins, even with losing weight, you know, something some mm-hmm. people talk about all the time too, but having these sort of small wins. And that's why I think that fasts are really popular. Although they've been around yeah. for a long time, people like, even you're just dropping water weight, It's it kind of gets people going and excited to sort of see progress versus the slow and steady two pounds a week approach. But okay. Yep. So the snowball and avalanche winter sports. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So just pick, just pick which one you want to do. And that's kind of like your plan of attack, right? So you have like, okay, you have all your loans listed. That's kind of gaining visibility into your situation and just getting organized and then picking which method is really just your plan of attack. You're like, okay, now I have a plan. And trust me, I I cannot tell you like when I did this, even just having a plan will give mm-hmm. you so much just relief. Right. Even just to say like, okay, like I know that this is going to take a while or I know that this is going to be hard, but I at least have a plan on how mm-hmm. I'm going to get there. Right. I think it's also just rids a lot of anxiety people have. I think most of it's just the unknown and the constant feeling of not knowing. And I can really relate to that. I've put myself in debt before and gotten out of it. But just in the moment, you feel so helpless. Like there's no way you could ever pay this off. Yeah. And I mean, just just know too, like another very important thing that I've learned, you know, and it's I, I feel like it's kind of like an overused phrase, but it is definitely true where it's like comparison is the thief of joy, right? Mm-hmm. The worst thing that you can do is, or I, I mean, I don't know, this just doesn't help me, but if you're somebody who your debt journey is going to take you years, like just know that that's not just you. Like there are a lot of other people out there who it's going to take them like five to 10 years to get out of debt. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Right. There are some people who, you know, all they have is like a $2,000 credit card bill and they're like, Oh, it's going to take me two months to get out of debt. Then there's people with like multiple six figures of student loan debt from law school or medical school or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's going to take them probably, you know, upwards of five years. Right. So just know that like your journey is your journey and however long it takes you, like just like that's it's it's just your path and your journey. Mm-hmm. I love that you say that because I think that a lot of people have a lot of shame as well totally. surrounding debt. And I know I did for a long time until I addressed it, but I, I know I paid off my, it was, I remember paying off my student loans for five years, but I wasn't paying off any more than I had to. 
And then yeah. I one day I sat down and I looked at my student loans and it, literally the number didn't drop at all in five no. years. And so that's when I really took it seriously. And I was like, what is going on? But yep. I love that you say that every, you know, everything is normal. It might take you a little bit longer, but just sit down, get organized. And yeah, I love that. Yeah, you can do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so paying off, another question that I've heard is if you're trying to pay off debt, should you be saving at the same time or should you only pay off debt? You know, people have questions about that all the time. If you're yep. really trying to knock it down, should you not save at all or just save a little bit? Okay. So what I always say is focus on one thing at a time. Okay. So kind of think of this as steps, right? So again, going back to Dave Ramsey, he has what he calls like the baby steps, right? I've kind of made like my own modified version of what I feel are the best baby steps to take. But the whole point of it is just focusing on one thing at a time. So the first thing, like if you're sitting there and you're going, okay, I have student loans, but I also have no savings. What should I do? If that's you, you need to build up before you start going on your path of paying down your debt, you need to build up some savings because honestly, it is not a matter of if, but when mm -hmm. something will hit the fan. And the whole point is we don't want you going further into debt when you're trying to get out of debt, mm -hmm. right? So if you don't have any savings, that is the first thing that you need to do before you even worry about paying off your debt. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have to save up a ton. So what I typically say is if you are single or married with no kids, I typically recommend saving like three to $5,000, okay? Mm -hmm. And the point of that money is just to cover, like we call it an emergency fund. The mm -hmm. point of that money is just to cover your, you know what, if an emergency should arise, right? Because like I said, it, it will happen. If you are married with a family with kids, I typically advise just doing a little bit more than that just because you just have more, I guess, situations of emergencies popping up with kids that you're mm -hmm. probably gonna have to cover. So if you're married with kids, I would say like five to 7,000, just kind of have that buffer. So that needs to be the first thing that you do, okay? After you have an emergency fund saved up and you kind of have that cushion and that foundation to fall back on should something happen, then you can start tackling your debt. OK, mm -hmm. um, so then you can kind of start going through that process of your debt snowball or your debt avalanche, that sort of thing. I will say one kind of like caveat to this, and it's probably one of the most common questions I get is, OK, well, what about saving for retirement? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, what about just my employer is pulling money out of my paycheck and I'm putting it into a 401k? Like, should I continue to do that while I'm getting out of debt or should I just completely shut that off? I always say just to continue to do that, because for most of us, you know, like, let's just take you and I at our at our corporate jobs. Like most people have some sort of retirement plan through their jobs, you know, so let's just say a 401k. And I know at least how it works for me and most others is it's almost kind of like the money just doesn't even exist in the first place right. because it's like it doesn't even come into your bank account, right? Mm -hmm. Like your employer just takes it out of your paycheck before you even receive it. And so if you're already used to that money coming out, just keep it going into your retirement savings mm -hmm. because your 20s and your 30s are your most opportune time to be saving for retirement. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, it's kind of like this backward mindset that people have, because what I hear a lot of people in their 20s and 30s saying is, well, I'm so young, I have so much time to save mm -hmm. for retirement. But what you also have to understand is that 
the magic of money is the compound interest kicking in. Mm -hmm. And the compound interest kicking in is most powerful when you give it the most time to grow. So if you start saving, you know, I luckily, I started saving for retirement when I was 21. My first job, I remember going in and just kind of sitting down with the HR lady and she was like, okay, well now we're going to do your 401k. And I literally said to her, I was like, what's a 401k? Like I had no clue. Mm -hmm. And luckily she was like, okay, we'll just contribute to it and get the match. And so I started saving for retirement when I was 21. And I even continued to do that while I was getting out of debt. And I am, I mean, trust me, now that I'm out on the other side, I am so glad that I did. And what I see a lot of people doing, and I honestly, I'd always just kind of, I'm always just like, no, like I want to like stop them. And it just kind of makes me cringe Mm -hmm. is when I hear people say like, oh, well, I'm getting out of debt. So I'm going to stop contributing to my 401k and use that extra money and put it towards debt. Mm -hmm. To me, that's something that's a very short sighted financial move to make because yes, it will get you out of debt quicker. And, you know, the argument that I always hear is like, well, it's going to save me a lot in interest. Mm -hmm. But what you also have to understand is that, okay, fine. But if you had kept that money in your 401k as a 25-year-old, 40 years from now, Mm -hmm. what that extra $100 a month would have been, right now it's just $100. But 40 years from now, it's 10 times that, Yeah. right? So that is my only caveat is, you know, still contribute to retirement even while you're getting out of debt. Mm -hmm. I know it will make the process a little longer. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like the first place that people kind of think to pull money from. But like, I promise you, your 65-year-old retired self, like sitting on that beach drinking a margarita will thank you. Like, it will thank you. It will be like, thank you for not, like, you know, thank you for continuing to save for retirement, like while you were getting out of debt, because it makes such a difference to your overall nest egg. I think that it's really hard to think long-term for a lot of people, myself included. It's um, it's not yep. a natural thing to do to think about the long-term gains, because again, we're in a society with a lot of instant gratification and the idea of having to imagine 40 years from now, I think it's a really foreign concept for people. It is. And one just tip that I can give you, because I com- I completely agree, like especially, you know, with just being in your 20s and young, it can be so hard to really even think that far out. But one thing that I can or that I urge you to do that I think would help a lot is just do the math. So that's what I did. And that's what I feel like a lot of people don't do. So you can very easily, for instance, go on Google and Google retirement calculator. And Mm -hmm. it's really easy. Like you just have a couple inputs, like you just put in your age, you know, an average rate of return. So you could use like anywhere from six to 8% is pretty average, but then just put that amount. Just say like, okay, Currently, right now, I'm putting $100 in my 401k a month. If I was just to take that out and not be contributing that, Mm -hmm. what kind of impact would that have? And the calculator will show you exactly how much that is, right? right? And so when a lot of people see that, first of all, they're always shocked by how much it is because people forget about the power of compound interest. I mean, Warren Buffett... Um, Albert Einstein literally calls compound interest the eighth wonder of the world because (laughs) it's just it's just insane the way Mm -hmm. that it just behaves mathematically. And a lot of people are so shocked because, again, you think like, oh, it's just one hundred dollars. What could one hundred dollars do? Right. What difference could that make? But when it's one hundred dollars every month compounded over 40 years, that's millions of dollars. Millions. So usually when people see that, they're like, okay, okay, okay. Like I can do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
So what I'm hearing is create a little nest egg first. And then if you do have a 401k, go ahead and continue that and then tackle your loans or your debt. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. Exactly. I think that's yeah. digestible for people. And I think that answers a lot of questions that people have. So another thing that I have also heard and I also wonder about is that if you have different kinds of debt, so you had the snowball effect and then you had the mm-hmm. avalanche. How about if you have credit card debt, you have a car loan and you yep. have different kinds of debt, do you approach it the same way? Exact same way. So the type of debt doesn't matter, right? So when, I mean, I know that we were talking specifically about student loans, but let's just say you have other types of debt, like you have credit card debt, you have a car loan, just that needs to be included as well, right? So Mm -hmm. just list everything out, include that in your list. So for us, you know, my husband and I, when we were getting out of debt, we basically had two types. We had credit card and student loan. So, you know, for instance, for us, since we did the avalanche method, which means, again, you're just paying off the highest interest loan first. Mm-hmm. If you're doing that method and you do have credit card debt, typically under the avalanche method, your credit cards are going to be the first ones that you pay off because credit cards are always like the highest interest debt, right? right? Like interest on credit cards can be anywhere from like 18 to 30%. Like mm-hmm. they're crazy. But yes, include everything and then just put it in the order and just stick to that order. So you might kind of jump around, like you might kind of go like student loan, car, credit card, depending on, you know, the loan amounts or the interest rates, whichever route you go, but include everything, credit cards, car loans, personal loans. And even too, even if it's kind of like more informal, like I was talking to a girl who her parents loaned her some money and she wanted to pay them back. She, she was including that too. So it was Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, loan to parents. So, you know, even, even money that you might have borrowed from people that you owe back to them, you Mm -hmm. can include stuff like that as well. Okay. I, I like that. That it's nice to have that. It's not so complicated with the different methods that you could put all of your debt into kind of one place. Yep. Just list it all. Talking about credit cards, if, you know, you hear people say, well, I'll, you know, their interest rate, because a lot of people don't realize that your interest rate can actually go up over time Yep. um, with your credit card. And I don't Mm -hmm. know, maybe you, I mean, I'm sure you know whether they have to notify you because I feel like they don't always notify you when it goes up or maybe it's a tiny piece of paper that you never see in the mail. But I have heard that people have tried to transfer their, their balances. Do you have any thoughts on transferring balances? Yeah. So to be honest with you, like I'm not a huge fan of the balance transfer game. And I know that it's, I know that's a game that a lot of people play. Like I'm a, I'm a part of a a group on Facebook where it's a bunch of girls and it's specifically about finances. And I would say that the number one thing that is talked about is girls going in there being like, okay, what, uh, what, what credit card should I get that has, you know, 0% interest for X amount. And all they're doing, it's just a band-aid. Like you're not right. actually solving the problem. Like, yes, I understand that. Sure. It'll save you a little bit over the short term to transfer all that money to a 0% credit card. Here's the thing, though. What a lot of people don't realize as well on these balance transfers is that the credit card company is going to charge you a percentage fee for the amount that you're transferring, right? right? So like, let's just say that you have $10,000 on a credit card. You want to transfer that to a 0% card. Well, a lot of credit card companies have like, you know, a 3 to 5% fee. So let's just say it's 3%. That's $300. That's right. $300 that you're having to pay just to transfer it over to another credit card. And so at that point, once you kind of pay the transfer fee, it's like, look, just focus on paying off the balance, right? Like 
I kind of understand where you're coming from. Like, yes, you want to save the interest, but by the time you factor in what you're paying with the transfer fee, you're not really saving that much money. Mm -hmm. And you might as well just focus on getting the balance paid off, right? right? So I'm not like a huge fan of the whole balance transfer. I would much rather see you just make a plan of attack and just get the balance paid off and just be more responsible with the credit card moving forward. Mm -hmm. And I mean, as far as the rates going up, a lot of cards do that and a lot of people stop paying attention. So they'll open up this credit card and, you know, it'll be 0% for 18 months. Well, then the 18 months goes by Mm -hmm. and guess what? They still have a huge balance on it. So then the interest kicks in and then, you know, they get whopped with this huge interest bill that's been accumulating over the past 18 months. Right. So, I mean, my, my biggest thing is, is like, look, just, don't don't worry about playing the balance transfer game. You don't end up that much far ahead in the long run. Just focus on making a plan to get it paid off. It's probably also not a good habit to get into not dealing with no. the main problem and just right. actually addressing the issue. Yeah, like I said, it's just a Band-Aid, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're not making the situation any better. You're just like prolonging the issue. Awesome. So I'm looking at, you know, the different questions that I want to ask. We really have covered everything. It kind of debt, I feel like everything is connected. Yes. But the one last question that I wanted to ask was, what would you say to someone who, you kind of addressed this at the beginning, but I think it's really important to end with, if someone who is super overwhelmed, they've got credit card debt, they've got student loan debt, you know, they're not making a ton of money, they're feeling really, really hopeless right now, like, what is the one thing you'd want to say? Yeah, so, like I said earlier in this episode, I am really, really big about really working on your money mindset. Because what a lot of people don't realize is that when people try to make changes in their life, whether it's with money or let's just say something else with your health and wellness, right? They always try to start with the actions, right? They always try to start by fixing their actions because obviously it's very logical to think like, okay, well, if I have different actions, then I'm going to have different results. But what a lot of people don't realize is that All the actions that you're doing in your life is a result of your thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's this model that I live my life by, and essentially how it goes is your thoughts create your feelings, your feelings create your actions, and your actions create your results. Mm -hmm. So again, most people are just starting with the action part, and then they're bewildered when they're, you know, not successful, or they're not seeing progress, or things kind of start to fall apart. And honestly, that's because their mindset is still trash. And it's just the truth, right? So if you are somebody who is feeling really overwhelmed with money, what I would really encourage you to do is, first of all, to just understand, and I know that this is this can be really, really hard to understand when you're in a place of overwhelm and anxiety with your money. But what I always say is your money is a neutral circumstance. The amount of debt that you have, the amount that's in your bank account, it is just a neutral circumstance. Like it in itself does not mean anything. Mm -hmm. You as an emotional human being are assigning meaning to it, right? Right. So you, like what I always like to tell people, and again, this this does require, I am not saying that this is going to happen overnight. It does require a lot of like deep work on yourself, but it's completely worth it because it will transform the relationship that you have with money. But you don't have to think negative thoughts about your money. Mm-hmm. And I always use the example of debt, right? So what I hear 99% of people say when they talk about their debt is, first of all, they say things as in 
like they're facts, right? They're like, oh my gosh, my life is falling apart or, you know, I'm just, I'm buried in debt. And I'm like, first of all, that's not the truth. That's just your thought about the situation. Like the actual truth is like you have $50,000 of student loan debt. Mm -hmm. You have $1,000 in your bank account. Those are like true proven facts. Yeah. But the thoughts that you're having about that of like, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm buried. I feel hopeless. Like those are just your thoughts about the situation, Mm -hmm. right? So for debt, you can have those thoughts if you want to. I mean, you can sit there all day and say things to yourself like, oh my gosh, I'm so broke. I suck with money. Mm -hmm. Um, I can never stick to my budget. I'm never going to get out of debt. But those are just thoughts that are not serving you at all. And so you have the choice to think positive things about your money. So for debt, just to kind of like give you an example, for debt, you don't have to sit there and think like, oh my gosh, I'm so broke. This sucks, right? Like my life is going to suck for the next five years while I'm getting out of debt. Mm -hmm. What I would challenge you to do is instead of thinking about it that way, start asking yourself questions that are more positive in nature. So you can start asking yourself questions like, okay, how can I use this as an opportunity to like grow? How can I use this as an opportunity to create more income for myself? How can I use this as an opportunity to make connections with people that I probably wouldn't made because, you know, I'll be out like side hustling, right? Mm -hmm. Like how can I use this as an opportunity to like learn a new skill? I mean, I will tell you like my business, if it weren't for my student loan debt, like this sounds crazy. I am so thankful for my student loan debt because Mm -hmm. my student loan debt led to my business. Right. And there is absolutely no way that the Purposeful Penny would exist had it not been for my student loan debt. Mm -hmm. Now, I didn't know all this. Like, I wish somebody had told me this when I was trying to get out of debt. I mean, nobody would like explain this to me when I was in debt. Mm -hmm. Now that I'm out of it, I'm trying to like teach people all the things that like I didn't know. Yeah. But it doesn't just have to be this like vortex of negativity where you're just always just like complaining about it to your friends or just be like, oh, my life is so awful because I'm in debt and da da da. It doesn't have to be that way. It can be something positive. It can be something that teaches you something. It can be something that makes you a better person. It can be something that you know, increases your income. I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of women that I've worked with who, because of their debt, they went out and got a side hustle that now is their full-time income. Right. Or they asked for a a raise at work and they got it, or they got a promotion at their job or Mm -hmm. just whatever. So that is the number one thing is just, you have to start with your mindset. I mean, I can talk to you all day long about budgeting (laughs) and getting out of debt and like raising your credit score until you're blue in the face. But if you don't have the mindset stuff down, Mm -hmm. like, you're in trouble. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love that. I love that because it's so much deeper than just numbers. I think it mm-hmm. comes, it, you know, a lot of our habits, they can come from childhood. They can come from your parents. They can come from what you think you're worth, a lot of different things. And I think of having a positive mindset. It's not just about getting out of debt. I think that it, it'll take you so much farther in life than just money. Oh, yeah. And I mean, a lot of people, when they think of money, they just think like, oh, it's just numbers, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's just, you know, one plus two equals three. It's very black and white. Money is so gray. Mm -hmm. It can be so gray and it is so emotional. Yeah. And, you know, there's just so many things that are deep rooted in it. And it's it's not like one of those things that we typically like look at and and think of as something so emotional. Right. But it really, really is. And Mm -hmm. 
you know, there's like this famous quote that I love, Zig Ziglar, he says like money isn't the most important thing, but it's pretty much like after oxygen on the gotta have it scale. Mm -hmm. Like you, you cannot live the life that you want to live, that you desire to live. Mm -hmm. If you don't have your money in check, it just cannot happen. I mean, it's always so funny to me when people are like, try to pretend that like money doesn't matter and it's like not important. It's like, okay, well, uh, keep thinking that and, you know, tell me how that goes for you because Mm -hmm. it is like, it is important and it does matter. It's like, you've, you've, you've got to get it figured out. Right. You can. And even if your goal is to become a millionaire, I think that's another thing is that people think that if you care about your money or you think about your money, that you're money driven, but that's not necessarily the case. You could still have a great quality of life and be making $60,000, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and you know, whether, whether you do want to, you know, make a lot of money, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, people, again, kind of going back to what you said, people typically see that as like, Ooh, like you're greedy Mm -hmm. and it's just like dirty and it's like, ill. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to feel greedy if you're somebody who you want to make a lot of money and you like the finer things in life. There's nothing wrong with that. But then you also have to understand that, like, you've got to have the bank account to back that up. Or if you don't, if you just want to live a very, you know, minimalism and all that sort of stuff is huge right now. Right. Right. So if you're someone, too, who you're like, look, like, I think I would just prefer to just kind of live, you know, a more minimalist lifestyle, kind of something on like the smaller side, whatever, like doesn't require as large of a financial resource. That's great, too. But like we talked about earlier, regardless of which lifestyle you want to live, like, you still got to have your money figured out, mm-hmm. right? Because that's how you build it to support the lifestyle that you want to live, regardless of what that is. Right. Well, Paige, thank you so much for jumping on this call with me. I feel yeah. like everything that you have shared, I just know already that it's going to help so many people. And my number one reason for starting this podcast is that I wanted to share information that's helped me grow and that someone can actually listen to something and immediately go and apply it to their life. So I wanted to ask as a last thing, if people want to find you, where can they find you? Yeah. So you can go to my website, which is www.thepurposefulpenny.com spelled just how it sounds. Mm -hmm. And then where I'm most active on social is definitely Instagram. So you can find me on Instagram. Uh, My handle is at thepurposefulpenny. Great. Well, thank you so much, Paige. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Yeah, this has been so fun. Thank you for having me. 